You are listening to Standing Firm, a call in an age of decay, deconstruction, and desolation to be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Welcome back to Standing Firm, a podcast of Holy Trinity Reformed Church in Canby, Indiana. I am your host, Pastor James Brown, Jr., We began a series of podcasts to define our distinctives or what makes us different than, say, most other churches in our area. And basically, we are answering the question, who are we? And this is the second episode in that series. Now, it's kind of changing and evolving as we go along. And so these titles may look a little different from time to time. But anyway, we are basically trying to answer that question. Who are we and what makes us different? I am speaking to these issues from the premise of what I believe would be helpful to the members of our church and also the inhabitants of our community. If you live elsewhere in the United States or the world and this podcast is in some way helpful to you, then thanks be to God. However... I am focusing on these issues in a way that is helpful, or at least we hope that it, hope that it's helpful, to our specific circumstances here in the Mooresville Camby area of Indiana. Sometimes this will coincide with the things elsewhere in the world, and other times it will not. Uh, we have limited time and resources, and so we are focused on our Jerusalem. Therefore, if I do not address certain topics in a way that fits the national narrative or addresses the national controversies, then just know that in our area, we have our own specific problems, and that is the context of our approach to these things. In our introduction to this series, I said that we would not be going in a systematic order, and that is evident in this podcast, because we are basically going to start with the bold assertion that we, here at Holy Trinity Reformed Church, are a representative of the true church of Jesus Christ in Canby, Indiana. One could also say that we are a particular church of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church here in the Canby Mooresville area. So what makes us different than many other churches in our area is simply this. We are a true church. Obviously, this statement is filled with controversy, so let's first of all clarify what we are not saying. We are not saying that we are the only true church in our area. Second, we are not saying that we are the purest church in our area. However, there are churches in our area that are not churches of Jesus Christ, but are actually synagogues of Satan. I will even go so far as to say that from a human good works or a self-righteous point of view, some of these synagogues of Satan may even appear to be purer than us, especially in definitions according to our modern culture. Nevertheless, they are not true churches of Christ, but synagogues of Satan, and it is time that we started making that distinction and separating ourselves from them and calling upon true Christians to come out of Babylon. What we are saying will become clearer 
as we continue through this episode and throughout this series of podcasts, if it is not clear enough already. But the level of clarity really depends upon your knowledge level and affections and backgrounds and circumstances of life. So just keep listening and attending our services and things will become increasingly clear what I am saying and what I am not saying. Still yet, we cannot exhaustively deal with every topic, every question or argument. If God grants us time, then Lord willing, we will grow in grace and increase in knowledge, but it will take time. Regardless, these are very important considerations for all of us. As believers, we are obligated to belong not just mystically in the universal invisible church, but in a local representative of the universal visible church. We are obligated or required to belong to the true church. And although that is a proposition that necessitates a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, it is most important, it is the most important and crucial work of our lives. Maybe we should say, as we are making this definitive statement that we are a true church. Maybe we should say that we are a local church that endeavors to be part of the true church. Maybe we should say that it is our desire to be a true church, but I'm not going to do it. We are a true church, and what kind of idiots would we be if we were here only because we because we hoped to be. What makes us different than many of the churches in our area is that we are a member of the one holy apostolic and Catholic church. We belong to the true church. There are a lot of things that are muddy in our present age, but I can confidently say that Holy Trinity Reformed Church is a true church of the universal church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, if you live in our area and do not belong to a true church of Jesus Christ, then you need to be here this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.30 a.m. for our divine service. Because we are a true church of Jesus Christ, I can say to those who attend Holy Trinity Reformed Church that not only do they need to be here this Sunday, but that except for providential reasons, they should never leave and that they should also surrender themselves to the work of Holy Trinity Reformed Church. This is one of those let's be honest places in our conversation. And we'll probably come across many of these as we go along. And we should come across more and more of them, not only in this area, but in many other areas. And if I could figure out how to be more profitable and productive in my time, I would probably start a short video program called Let's Be Honest. And who knows, maybe someday we'll be able to do that. But this is one of those Let's Be Honest times in our discussion, at least on this topic. And it's one of those, let's be honest statements in a day and age when we are not honest and are required to be dishonest. But the reason why I'm pointing out this distinction of the true church is because it is an issue of eternal consequences. The state of your soul 
is at stake on this very topic. There are, of course, two type, uh, two kinds of religious institutions. First, there is the Church of Jesus Christ, which is Catholic or universal, according to the Baptist Confession of Faith, published in London in 1689. And on the other side, there are synagogues of Satan, also according to the Baptist statement. Now, no one claims to be a synagogue of Satan, so we must define such according to the word of God, lest we allow Satan, who transforms himself as an angel of light, to deceive us and damn us to hell for eternity. There is nothing worse than to think that you are a minister of the light or a follower of the light when it is really Satan you are following. I know this is not popular preaching, and I am told sometimes directly and many times indirectly, that I should not preach like this, but Jesus is our example. And he told the Pharisees in John chapter 8 and verse 44 that they were of their father, the devil. If your soul is in jeopardy, the most loving thing anyone can do is to warn you to flee from the wrath to come. The Baptist Confession, along with the Westminster Confession, identifies two designations churches of Christ, and synagogues of Satan. What is the definition of a church of Christ? Well, according to the Westminster Baptists and Presbyterians, the true church is defined as having two components. It is invisible and visible, both of which are Catholic. Concerning the visible church, the Westminster Confession states... The visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel, not confined to one nation as before under the law, consists of all those throughout the world that profess true religion and of their children and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation." This is where we make fundamentalists and evangelicals mad because we say we belong to the Catholic Church. We are not autonomous lone rangers who have the right to decide what the fundamental articles of the Christian religion consist of. We just can't say one day, you know what? We like the Gospel of Thomas and think it should be included in the canon of the New Testament. Autonomous groups, synagogues of Satan, might, but true Catholic churches may not. And the reason is because we are Catholic or universal. The canon of Scripture was determined by the churches of the apostles that they received, used, and passed down as Scripture. The canon was determined by what was universally used by apostolic churches and then recognized as such based on Catholicity. Therefore, we cannot include any other questionable books that we might like or think should be included because we are not autonomous. We are subject to proper ecclesiastical jurisdiction. And yet, on the other hand, We make Roman Catholics mad because we deny that the universal church is Roman. The church degenerated into a synagogue of Satan under the tyranny of the papal see. This was the reason for the Protestant Reformation. 
The Reformation was not the establishing of something new, but a return to what was old. It was based upon the principles of Reformation found in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16, where the Lord said to Judah, Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Therefore, we denied the tyranny of a million autonomous, fundamental, and evangelical popes who reject the Catholic faith. And we also deny the tyranny of the one Roman pope who rejects the Catholic faith. The reason why I'm spending so much time here is because this is the area where we get a lot of pushback, even among those who are sympathetic to us. Usually, anyone who has a fundamentalist or an evangelical background gets squirrely with the word Catholic. And the reason is simple. It is because they are the ones, and we are the ones, that is our background, who have most readily accepted the lie of autonomy individualism, and or democracy, which is a heresy that quickly leads to apostasy. So there are biblical and theological reasons to not only use the word Catholic, but also make application to the practices of the church based upon the meaning and context of that word. But one of the practical reasons Why we should use the word in the modern context is simply to refute the modern rebellion of autonomy. I have been asked on numerous occasions why we just can't exchange the word Catholic for universal or some other word that they come up with. And one of the reasons why I will not is because it is coming from a place of autonomy. The question is coming from a place of autonomy. It is actually a rejection of biblical authority for Catholicity expressed in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, where we are told to walk worthy of the calling which we were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, Just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You see, it is a rejection of ecclesiastical authority in the apostolic creed that says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. The Nicene Creed that says, and we believe in one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. The Athanasian Creed that declares whoever desires to be saved should above all hold to the Catholic faith. The 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Belgic Confession of Faith, and many other historic Protestant confessions that say the church is Catholic. You see, autonomy creates apostasy. Because autonomy is a high-level heresy, regardless whether it is the autonomy of a million little popes or the autonomy of one big pope. Autonomy is definitely not an indifferent issue, contrary to popular thought, even among many who say they reject autonomy. Because it is not a secondary issue either. 
and our hedonistic culture and the destruction of Western civilization is proof of this claim. Papal authority proved to be the seed of apostasy in the medieval age and individual autonomy has proved to be the seed of apostasy in the modern age. But what do I mean by autonomy? I am talking about this idea of democratic self-government. I'm not saying that there is not a category of self-government, because there is, but self-government is not autonomous or individualistic. It is not the right, because no right exists from God, to live according to your own will, to define good and evil as you see fit, and to do your own pleasure. It is not independent of or superior to institutional government. For example, in some of the more extreme realms of autonomy is the spiritual sounding slogan, No King But Jesus, which is about as spiritual as the No Creed But The Bible motto found in many of the same circles. But is No King But Jesus biblical? If so, why is Jesus called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? That statement is not a denial of other authorities, but a reaffirmation of the first commandment, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, says Jehovah. Every king and every lord is to be subject to Christ, just as Paul said in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, where we read, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Commenting on this passage, the Baptist theologian and pastor John Gill wrote this in his commentary. He wrote, God is the fountain of all power and authority. The streams of power among creatures flow from him. The power that man has over all the creatures, the fowls of the air, the beasts of the field, and the fishes of the sea is originally of God and by a grant from him. The lesser powers and the exercises of them in the various relations men stand to one another are of God. As the power the husband has over the wife, parents over their children, and masters over their servants, and so the higher power that princes have over their subjects. For it is the God of heaven that sets up kings as well as puts them down. He is the king of kings, from whom they derive their power and authority, from whom they have the right of government and all the qualifications for it. It is by him that kings reign and princes decree justice, end of quote. Based upon the truth that John Gill is writing, which comes from the authority of the word of God in Romans chapter 13, 
It's based on that eternal truth that Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, declared and commanded Christians in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 18, to submit themselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty as a cloak for maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, end of quote. Yes, I was once a revolutionary. I was once a revolter. I was an anarchist. Now, obviously, I would have never described myself that way. I would have said that I was a constitutionalist. But was I really? Or maybe that old word used by reformers, a fomenter. But no longer. And although I'm still repenting of these sins and correcting bad doctrine and practices as a result, I want to belong to the church that Jesus Christ established, that Jesus Christ is building, that Jesus Christ has preserved, and that church which he will preserve through all ages until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, until all the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and Jesus Christ, until after he shakes the earth to the point where all kingdoms crumble and there is only one kingdom that remains and that is the kingdom of Jesus Christ where it will truly be said that he is the king of kings and lord of lords because every one will be in subjection to him. In its most simple understanding, the word Catholic means universal. The word has nothing to do with the veneration of Mary. It has nothing to do with transubstantiation or papal infallibility. It simply means universal in its most basic concept. Now there's much more to the word. But right now, we're just focused on its most basic root understanding. But even though that is the basic root understanding of the word Catholic, even among our own folks, there is hostility to this word due to bitterness, embarrassment, or even ignorance. The question I have probably, the question that I've probably been asked most is why do we use the word Catholic Or why can't we use the word universal instead? The word Catholic is a biblical word because it gives a biblical sense to our understanding of the church. It is a proper English word. 
The term Catholic means universal and apostolic. It has implications for authority and unity in in the fundamental doctrines of the church, in worship, in evangelism, in the canon of scripture, and so on. If we did not think that we were a true church, a true local church, representing the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, as it is stated in the Nicene Creed, then we would be foolish to exist or to evangelize. So in explaining why we are different from, let's say, the first Christian church in Mooresville, falsely so named because it has at best, degenerated into a synagogue of Satan. It is because we belong to the true church. And these distinctions must be made. Now, believing oneself to be part of the true church does not make it so, because everyone claims to be the true church. But if we did not believe it, then what in the world are we doing here? It is because we do believe we are a true church that we invite believers, those who are walking in faith and repentance, to come join this local outpost of the one true church in Jesus Christ. It is because we do believe we are the true church that we invite sinners to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to come join this local outpost of the one true church of Jesus Christ. No, we are not a perfect church or we are not a perfectly pure church. But with all of our sins, flaws, blemishes, and inconsistencies, we believe ourselves to be a lawfully ordained church of Jesus Christ in spite of our mixture and air because we possess the three marks of a true church that we will discuss in our next podcast. We are not trying to reinvent the wheel. We are not trying to create something new. We believe the true church has always and shall always exist on earth and that it is to that church we belong. Until next time. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Standing Firm is a podcast production of Holy Trinity Reformed Church in Canby, Indiana. For more information about this podcast or Holy Trinity Reformed Church, Visit us online at reformedholytrinity.org.